I want you to imagine with me, all right? Imagine that you're going to visit a church for the very first time. Hopefully what I'm about to describe is not the type of church that we are, um, but imagine this with me, all right? So you're driving to church, you're coming, you're coming. it's 10 minutes early because you got to get there on time, you know? You got to make sure that you're there before the service, that you're looking prompt. So you're driving there 10 minutes before you get there 10 minutes beforehand. You're driving up, you have the phone up on your dashboard because you don't know how to get there. So you have the directions and it's on the map and you're driving up to the church. And as you get there, there's no street signage, right? You're in the city, You don't know where, like, there's no parking signage for where the church is. You just see the street filled up with cars. You see people getting out of the cars and, like, heading to the building that you know is the church. And so you're like, okay, I'm going to try to find a place to park. And so you go and you, like, do the parallel parking and you're, like, really nervous so you don't parallel park correctly, you know, and you have to do, like, the three or four times trying to get into the parking spot. So you do it. You finally hit it on, like, the fifth time. You're like, okay, great. So you get out of the, the car. You're walking up to the front door. There's one person there. They're, like, passing out the church bulletins to you. And so you're walking in. You grab the church bulletin. You walk in, it's like very minuscule in terms of like the interaction that you have. And so you walk in and you're walking to the auditorium and you get into the auditorium and you're kind of like, okay, now where do I sit? And uh, you're, you're in there, you're like looking around and imagine like no one, no one at all interacts with you. So you're standing there, this is like a, a bigger church, lots of people that are there, you're trying to find a seat and you're like, I don't know where to go. This place is already pretty packed. I don't know where to be. And so you go and you sit in like the corner of the whole entire auditorium. And so the service is starting up. They're getting, they're doing the music. Music's pretty good. They get to like the the time where you like talk, you know, after the music, the segue into like the sermon part of the service, you know what I'm saying? And so people are like up, they're talking and imagine no one talks to you. Like you're just standing there awkwardly, you don't know anybody, you're like waiting, you try to like segue into a conversation, but it like breaks up and it's, you feel really awkward or weird. And so you like get nervous and you step back, you don't step into the conversation. And then after the service, the service ends and you linger there for a little while, like maybe someone is going to finally talk to us. And so you stay in your spot and you're waiting afterwards and no one comes to talk to you. And so you leave the church and you leave, you go get into your car and it like you, no one, no one has interacted with you whatsoever. You didn't know where to go when you pulled up in your car. You had a minimal interaction as you walked into the front door, you got the church bulletin. No one talked to you before the service. No one talked to you in the middle of the service. No one talked to you after the service, not even like inviting you to something else to be a part of the church. You go back to your car, you get in. How do you feel? Probably feel unnoticed. Probably feel unwanted. And wondering, what in the world am I, what what did I just experience? This was the exact account that my wife and I experienced in the very first church that we went to visit in the last city that we moved to. Um, We had grown up in Christian homes. Both of our families were very active in churches, had never picked out a church for ourselves until we moved to this new city. This is the very first church that we go and visit in our new city. And we didn't know what just hit us. You know what I'm saying? There's a quote from a pastor, Ray Ortland. He says this, a church can unsay by its culture what it says by its doctrine. Here's basically what it's saying. They can preach a really big God, a really big Jesus, and have a lot of truth that they're pulling out from the Bible. But whenever you go into their church, by the way that they act, the way that they do things in the life of the church, the way that they are and they be, can dispel everything that they have just said with their words out of their mouth by their actions and the culture that they've created in the life of their church. This church that we went to had a great reputation, Great preaching. We're very active when it came to being involved with the homeless in the community, loved and served. But here's, the, here's what we walked away with. Like even in the midst of like a good reputation, great preaching, great theology, great interactions, highly missional church, we left that church. And when I left, all I could think of is I'm not wanted here. 
Tonight, we're looking at our final core value. And with Ortland's quote in mind, it, this, is, this core value is sort of our attempt to put our theology to practice here. All right? So it describes how we do what we do. When you're thinking about who we want to be as a church, why we do what we do, what we want our, like, the thoughtful, intentional mindset to be, the sort of quality with what we're trying to do here at Storyline Church, this is what we're trying to get at with this fourth core value. And here it is. It's, we create moments that matter. We create moments that matter. You see, every person has a story. You have a story. And what's a story? A story is a collection of moments. And if we get a moment with a person, we want to make that moment matter. You know what I'm saying? Like when somebody walks through our doors, we want somebody to feel like when they come in, one, that they're wanted, two, that they're noticed, and then third, that they're valued. We want, we want people, when we get these moments with them, we want, to, we want to capture these moments and we don't make these moments matter because people matter. And since people matter to God, they should matter to us. And so we want to capture these moments that we get with them. If you want to kind of like, okay, how is this putting our theology to practice? Well, the Bible tells us that all of God's creation, out of all of it, only we humanity were created in his image which means like God's thumbprint is on your life, every single one of us. So because of that, like you have high significance and value and worth to God. And if that's the case, then we should feel the same way about every person that walks through our doors. The Bible tells us that God sent his only son into the world to die for who? Us. He came to die for us. Yes, he's going to put this whole world back together. Sin has infiltrated every aspect of our world, our culture, our life. But what the Bible tells us is that Jesus came into this world to save you and me. The Bible tells us that God shows no partiality, that he doesn't look at socioeconomic status. He doesn't look at the color of your skin. He doesn't look at these things and show partiality and place other people above one another. Instead, he has brought Jesus in. And what the Bible tells us is Jesus has torn down all walls of division so that all of us can come and be fully accepted before God. And so if all of this is true, which we believe that it is, then look, as a church, we want to create moments that matter. Storyline is a church where we don't only proclaim that people matter, but people leave knowing that they matter to both us and to God. And so tonight we're looking at a passage that I think brings clarity and direction for how we build a culture of creating moments that matter. The Apostle Paul, he's writing to a church. Um, this is a church that he has invested his time and his life into. And what he's doing here is he's sharing with them how they are to conduct themselves. All right. So he says, this is like the end times. What the Bible means when it says end times is that that's the period between Jesus' ascension to heaven and between the time of when he comes back again for us. So basically, he's like saying, this is it. This is now. Like the time that you live in, this is the way that you are to conduct yourselves. And he says that you're to be ready, you're to be alert, and you're to be prayerful. And then he works through these three different ways of how we kind of put this to practice in our life. And so here's, this is what we're wanting to do tonight. I just want us to wrestle with these three ways that Peter tells us to live out the truths of the gospel by putting the practice and the ethics of our life. And here's the three of them, all right? This is my words, not Peter's, but I'm trying to put some words that we can kind of hang our hat on for a little while, all right? So here it is. The first one is this, is we love constantly. We love constantly. Secondly, we make guests feel at home. We make guests feel at home. And then the third, we use our gifts to bless. We use our gifts to bless. So we're going to look at these three practices, these three ethics for how I want us to function as a church. I'm going to have three questions, a question after each one. They're just sort of questions that I want us to be able to use in the life of our church that every time we come to a gathering, hopefully these are questions even beyond that, that you can just use in your everyday life, that you can practice these Christian ethics in your life on a day-to-day -day basis. But especially, look, especially 
When we come, we gather as the church. These are three questions that I just want us to wrestle with as we're kind of like in the car on the way here, or maybe you're at home and you're like getting yourself ready and you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're just rehearsing these three questions. I want these to be questions that we think through every time that we gather so we can put to practice that we're a church that creates moments that matter. And then we'll close. I have a different story for an experience that I had at a church that I think gives an idea of what it looks like for us to be a church that creates moments that matter. So the first one, let's look at the first practice. We love constantly. I'm getting this for verse eight. I'll read it again for us so we can have it refreshed in our minds. Here's what it says. Above all, maintain constant love. So hopefully you can kind of see where I'm getting this, right? Maintain constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. The first way that we create moments that matter is that we build a church that loves well. We build a church that loves well. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that Peter is commanding this church that he's writing to to love one another. I mean, Love is the first fruit of the Spirit. If you're looking in the book of Galatians, it's the first fruit of the Spirit that you see there. Jesus, as he's speaking to his disciples, he says, hey, the world will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. So love shouldn't be, it shouldn't be like a surprise. It should be an expected command. What should stand out to us, though, as we're looking at this, is the extent of the love that Peter is instructing us to love one another with. This is what should really stand out to us. So he says, maintain constant love. So every week, whenever I'm like getting into the Bible and I'm wrestling through and I'm beginning to do preparation for like this on Sundays, like trying to get ready for to stand up in front of you and bring God's word, I have multiple different translations of the Bible that I'm looking at with the passage that is being preached that Sunday. And so every different translation that I looked at had a different word for the word that is here, constant. So it's constant in the passage in the translation that we just read. You have other passages that have deeply. You have others that say earnestly. You have others that say fervently. That's because this word is packed full of meaning. It's not because people that are trying to translate the Bible into the English language from the Greek, which is the original language, it's not because people don't know what they're doing. It's because this word is so packed full of meaning. And here's what it's trying to portray. It's trying to portray longevity as well as passion. This word constant is trying to, it's trying to bring about to us that there's both a longevity to the love that we have as well as a deep passion for those people that we are to love. This love extends, it stretches beyond a singular moment. That's why our translation chose the word constant here, but others have also chosen earnest or fervent because it's also a very sincere and thoughtful word, a very intentional type of love that Peter is trying to portray here. So to love like this means that we engage people thoughtfully and then we pursue them appropriately. That's what Peter is getting across to us here. We engage people, people thoughtfully and then we pursue them appropriately. So thoughtfully, meaning like we wanna make people feel when we have interactions with other people that they are sort of like the only person that's in the room. You ever have people like this that you talk with? Like they look you straight in the eye. They care about the words that are coming out of your mouth. You can tell like they're just zeroed in on the conversation that you're having. Like that's what we want here. We want to have thoughtful, intentional conversations with the people that we run into when we gather here as a church. I want people to almost feel like I don't know how I can get out of this conversation. This person is so engaged with me. I, like I don't, I, I don't know if I've ever experienced this before. Like that's what I want people to sort of feel why they're here, that we're very thoughtful and intentional about their life. And then secondly, that we pursue appropriately, meaning that we don't cross boundaries here when it comes to like different genders or that we make people uncomfortable with like the amount of times that we're following up and pursuing them. But man, we wanna have thoughtful conversations where we hear things that are going on in people's lives and then we follow up with them throughout the week. Because it's the iteration of this word constant that it stretches beyond a singular moment, and at the same time, 
it's very intentional and thoughtful and they have your full engagement as they're in a conversation with you. Now, as we're thinking on this, I just wanna take a second and I just wanna say, like, I wanna encourage you as a church for a moment, all right? Because I believe in a lot of ways we love really well here. I do. We're only four months old, but I believe that we practice this in a certain level that I would say like, hey, this could be a strong point for us as a church, that we love well. As a church, when you walk into our gatherings, it's really easy to see that most of you enjoy one another, right? Like you walk in and a lot of you stay late. We're, we need to work on the getting here early a little bit as a church, but man, you stay late. Like last week, I don't think I got out of here till close to seven o'clock because we had people that stuck around and you enjoyed hanging out with one another. You enjoy talking and hearing about each other's weeks. Like I, I hear it like ways that you just love and you serve and you're engaged with each other when we gather here. Like you celebrate with one another. There's been, I, I don't know if I could count in just the short amount of time that we've been to church, how many like birthday parties that have been attended, how many baby showers have been thrown for one another. Like there's ways that you are loving really well. And it's not just like in this singular moment, it extends, all right? So like I hear about how you're checking in on one another, whether it's like someone that's gotten sick and you're following up with one another or sending meals to a person's home, like I hear these things regularly, or there's like work presentations that are going on in your life and you're sending out texts wanting to hear how work presentations have gone, or there's been difficult conversations with family members and so you're checking in, wanting to see how it went, see if the ways that you've been praying, if how the Lord answered those prayers. I hear about how you're sharing meals with one another in each other's homes, or you're meeting out at a restaurant with one another. Like you're loving well. You do this. You're following up with one another. A lot of times you are just zeroed in. You're engaged in conversations that are going on. I love it. I, wanna, I want this to be something not that like we just stay content with, but like, man, let's continue to lean into it. Let's continue to grow in our love for one another. But in the midst of this, okay, we've only been around for four months, been a church of four months. So here's like what I want us to be cautious about or to be mindful about. You see, a lot of times our world can look at a love like this and be like, yeah, I can step into that until something goes wrong. And so here's what it actually ends up being. Instead of it being a love that's constant, it ends up being a love that's conditional. Here's the difference, all right? A love that's constant it, it extends, it continues, but a love that's conditional says that, hey, when you cross me, hey, when you gossip about, gossip about me for the first time, when you disappoint me, whenever you kind of get annoying, when like being a friend of yours becomes a little inconvenient for my life, then we bow out. That's a conditional love. And Peter anticipates this, all right? This is just a human thing. This isn't just like an us thing. This is a human thing. It stretches a, across all different cultures. But Peter anticipates this. This is why he has at the end of this verse eight, love covers a multitude of sins. What in the world does that mean? In essence, what he's saying is we love constantly. We love deeply. We love earnestly. We love fervently because this type of love overcomes faults. That's what Peter is saying. The love that comes as a fruit of the gospel is that it overcomes faults. It overcomes sins in our life. It's an expression of the gospel of Jesus. You see, Jesus loved us to the extent, we just sang about this actually, where he covers our sins, right? It's the extent to which he loved us that he covered our sins to the point where he lived a perfect life, and then he died an excruciating, sacrificial death on our behalf. He covers our sins. And so Peter's saying, like, look, love to the extent that Jesus has loved you. Your love should cover multitudes of faults that may come your way in the life of the church. He's embracing the reality that the church is filled of people that deal and struggle with sin. 
He's saying, hey, look, the church is not this perfect people, not these people that Jesus has saved out of sin and then made them perfect. And so now when they get together, it doesn't mean that there's not gonna be sin anymore. He says, that's not reality. The reality is that there's still sin within the life of the church and the life of the relationships of the church. He's saying, what's different about your love is that your love extends that it covers up these faults that may come your way, that it's not conditional, but it's constant. So look, for us to be a church that creates moments that matter, it must be a deeply loving church that we grow to become. If we want to follow what Peter is stating here to the church that he's writing that you love constantly, then we are a church that our, our love covers a multitude of sins. Our love isn't conditional, but it's constant. All right, so here's a question for you. Here's a question as you kind of think about your life, especially as our church when we come together. Who do I need to check in with? Who do I need to check in with? We have community groups that are going on in the life of our church. We have discipleship groups that are going on in the life of our church. We have our Sunday gatherings that are happening. You're getting together with each other in homes for meals. You're following up with each other throughout the week, maybe through text messages. Like the thing that I want you to think about is you're having intentional conversations with other people and you're, they're sharing their life with you, things that are coming up in their week, I want you to have this question that's in the back of your mind anytime that we get together, maybe even throughout the week, as you're at your job or at home and you're thinking and possibly praying for that person, hopefully praying for these people, that you check in with them. Hey, how, how'd that work presentation go? Hey, you, you shared like this, difficulty that's going on in your life. Hey, I, I just want to check in, let you know that I'm thinking about you. Is there any way that I can like be of help to you right now? I know this is a hard, difficult week. How can I step in? How can I be there for you? My love is constant and extends. Like I want to be there with you. I want to express my love on not just with words, but my actions. Who do I need to check in with? Like, here's what I would love. Whenever you come on a Sunday and you're gathering here from conversations that are going on in your life within the life of our church, whether it be discipleship group or community group or maybe even from last Sunday, that you have a person in your mind when you come in, I need to follow up with them. I need to check in. I need to hear what's going on. How did the last part of your week go? What are ways that I continue to love and step into your life and serve you and be there with you and carry these things with you? That's what loving well looks like for us as a church. So who do I need to check in with? That's their first question. If we are a church that creates moments that matter, we will be a church that loves constantly. But for us to also be a church that creates moments that matter, we will be a church that makes guests feel at home. I get this from verse nine. Here's what it says. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. So the second way, that we create moments that matter as we make guests feel at home. This means that we make hospitality a priority here. And Peter says that we're to do this without having like this grumpy attitude about it, right? That's what he says, like that you, should not, you shouldn't do it with complaining. So hospitality in the Bible is this combination of both a friend and a stranger, so when it comes to hospitality in the Bible, Peter's not talking about just having your friends over. It's not Southern hospitality where you invite people in, you've cleaned up your home and the whole place looks immaculate and you have this amazing meal that you're coming and you're throwing down on the table and you're stuffing your face full of good food and you're laughing and then you leave and you go on your way home. That's not what Peter's talking about here. When he talks about hospitality in the Bible, it's befriending a stranger. Oftentimes, whenever you're talking about hospitality, there's a word that's attached to it that we think of UFOs, but it's alien. And whenever he says alien, he's talking about a place for a person from a foreign land or outside of your normal circle of social interactions. He's saying, hey, if you want to be hospitable, then it's for the alien or the stranger that you don't know that's in your life and you're welcoming them in. There's a pastor that correlates biblical hospitality to foster care. 
Foster care, you don't know the child that you're welcoming into your home. There's no prior relationship that's there. You don't know what's going on in their life. Oftentimes you get a phone call and then it's automatically like, hey, do you have a space for them? And you're like, I don't know who this person is, but they have a room that's in my house that's ready and available for them. Peter's saying biblical hospitality is that whenever somebody comes in that would be a stranger or an alien to us, that we welcome them in and say they have a room in my life, in my home, in our church. We befriend a stranger. The early church was built on this type of hospitality. So Christians, they would bring others with them to church gatherings, whether it be in a home or whether it be at the temple, wherever they were kind of like having their thing, they would bring people with them, these strangers or aliens that would come into their gathering and they'd be warmly welcomed, even though it was risky. There's very, very big risk when it came to inviting strangers in because you didn't know if these were people that were gonna like rat you out to the government and then literally your life would be lost because you invited the stranger in that you would give them food, that you would share your friendships, that you would share your life, sometimes even share a home in a room in your home for these people that you had no idea who they were. They would welcome these people in. And what happened as a result of this is there was a worldwide movement that happened. The Bible tells us that there were new people being added to their number daily because of the type of hospitality and love that they were expressing to people that they had no idea who they were. This was not a norm or a custom in that day and age. This was something that was strictly attached to the Christian church. And we're working like on this inviting part, right? Like the year of invitation, we're working on this. But let me encourage you again, all right? In a lot of ways, I think I see expressions of this type of hospitality that's already taking place in the life of our church. You can see it at our gatherings, especially at the time right before the sermon. We, do, we call it the passing of the peace, right? Um, man, there's a lot. Of, I, I make it a personal goal that before our service is over, if there's any person that's new here that I want to go and I want to have an interaction with them, all right? Now, I can't do that like I'm just a normal human being, right? Like I can't just make my way around the whole entire room and make sure I hit everybody before I leave. But here's the encouragement for me. It feels like if I don't get to you, it's because I see, I, I, sometimes I see that like you step into the gap and like you're doing really well and having conversations that are with people that are coming into our midst on Sundays, like you're going and being intentional and you're having conversations with those that might walk through our doors for the very first time, like you do this well. Sometimes you do it so well that I can't have interactions with the people that are new here because you're already having the conversations with them. Sometimes like it deters me from meeting my own goals, which I love it. It's beautiful. Like, that's a beautiful picture of hospitality. In a lot of ways, like, you've invited people into some of our groups before they've donned the doors here on Sunday morning, and they feel warm and welcome. They get food. Like, they feel like they're a part of the family. Like, that's beautiful. That's something, like, I, I want us to celebrate and for us to continue to step into. Now, here's where I do want us to grow, though. All right, here's how I want us to grow in our hospitality. And when we think about making people feel at home when they're here with us, I'm speaking specifically here about our Sunday services. The way that I would love to see us grow is our expression and worship. All right, so I'm, I'm gonna step into this. Like, here's two things I want just to preface this with. One, I think our music is amazing, all right? So what I'm about to say is not speaking against any of the musicians here whatsoever. We are blessed beyond measure when it comes to the type of church that we are, the age that we're at with the musicians that you hear. Like, I, it blows my mind walking out of here with the musicianship, if that's a word, that happens here on Sundays. I am overwhelmed with gratitude for this. Secondly, I'm not saying this with any person's name in mind, all right? I'm not saying this of like, there's one person that's in my mind and they're the ones that need to get better at this, all right? No, this is just something that I want us to grow holistically, all right? So you may be thinking, well, how in the world does expression and worship relate to making people feel at home here? How is this a hospitality issue? Isn't it just like a worship issue? How, how would it be a hospitality issue? It, it's both. 
It's a worship issue and it's a hospitality issue, all right? So the Bible tells us and instructs us that it's not just appropriate for us to have expression in worship, but it's actually a command. It's something that God commands us to do. You can look at the Psalms, and this is something that you can see over and over again. So Psalm 47 is one, specifically Psalm 134. These are some of the Psalms that you can see specific instruction that we're to clap, that we're to lift our hands, that we're to sing with like the word that's used there is like from the lowest parts of your lungs that you're singing out worship to God, that we are to be expressive in the way that we worship. And here's why. We're not disembodied souls, Our body and our soul are like, they're interconnected. And so whenever we're singing songs of these big truths about God, there's a way that when our hearts are moved, that the heart being moved should be expressed outwardly by our body. Like this is a natural instinct that just happens in us as human beings. My shepherd, who's 17 months old, anytime we turn on music, his body starts to shake, right? I wouldn't call it dancing yet, But like, there's definitely shaking there. You know what I'm saying? We lose this because we grow aware that other people don't do this. And so we get reserved and we don't practice like this natural instinct of like stepping out. We do do it as adults though when we go to things like sports games. When you go to a ball game, especially one that there's intense like a rivalry that's going on, if you go into a stadium and there's a massive play that happens that's like a, a, it changes the course of the entire game, there is immense response that happens at the game. And we as adults do not hide it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, arms up, high fives that are going, your, your voice is gone by the time the game is over. Look, that's a worshipful response. There's worship in some sense that takes place at these games because of what you experience. Like there's this moment, you have the community that's around you. There's things that happen that like move you internally and you express outwardly. And what God is trying to say to us is like, hey, this is what it looks like to worship me. This is what it's like whenever you are moved in the like very core of your being that it not just is supposed to like do something inside of you, but it, it should move you to do something expressively with your body. There's a song that we sang a few weeks ago, His Mercy is More. There's lyrics that will pop up. Like, look at the truth of this, all right? What riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment. His life was the cost. He stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins there are many. His mercy is more. This is like the hope of the gospel, right? And so it moves immediately into the chorus after this. Praise the Lord. You know what I'm saying? Like, dude, we, we transitioned into it and I could just feel internally. It's like, I just want like my soul to jump out of my body because of the beauty of these lyrics. And so like expression is the right response to this. Now here I I know there's like pushback on this. So let me try to like anticipate this, all right? So you may be thinking like, well, yeah, but like what about like the fear of you being a distraction or like putting on a show in front of other people, right? That like I'm doing this to gain attention so I look super spiritual in front of other people that are supposed to be spiritual as well. Yeah, like look, I get it. The audience of our worship is to be God. 100% completely agree with that. But consider this with me. If your worship is also reserved, if your worship is also like this thing that you're, you're holding back or you're worried about your comfort, look, the worship that you're doing is also about you as well. It may not be because of other people and the attention that you're wanting to get, but you're still making worship about you. Both are not the type of worship that God is calling for in the scriptures, and both deserve our repentance. So look, we're not a church that's erring on the side of like, well, it looks like they're about to put on a show. You know what I'm saying? Like what I'm saying is, hey, as our souls are moved by the songs that we're singing, 
express it. So look, it's a worship issue. Here's why it's also a hospitality issue, all right? So when, you come, when people come in and they wanna worship and gather with us, if we are reserved, if we're keeping to ourselves, we're telling the people that are coming in here that they don't have permission to express themselves. If you come in and you don't know anybody here, you've never met a soul, you walk into our services and you have these big truths that we're singing that are up on the screen and you don't see anybody doing anything. Like it's just singing and like it feels monotone, it's lifeless. What are we communicating about our worship and our belief about the truth of what's on that screen? And if they are being moved and they want to express and they don't see anybody else that's doing here, they don't feel they have the permission to do so. You see what I'm saying? So look, I'm not saying I want us to be this show that's coming here and that we're trying to do these expressions because we want to make other people always feel welcome. I'm saying I want us to have genuine worship that's going on here. The truths that we're singing, the musicians that are up here are gifted enough. I know that God's doing stuff inside of us. And I'm just saying I want you to feel the permission to express that. And look, it's also needed by those people that come in here so they feel they have the permission to respond too. It's also a hospitality issue because it's a predominantly, and like, I'm gonna read a quote here. This will say it better. All right, I'm gonna, let me preface it though, all right? So before you, can you pull that down so I can preface it real quick? All right, so before I do this, there's some language in here that may like trigger some other things. This is just speaking about cultural differences, all right? So don't let like your spirit like get rose up with like defensiveness. Like this is just speaking about differences in cultures, all right? I want us to think about like the culture, the Western culture that we predominantly come from and, and the minuscule versus like what is more common throughout the whole entire globe, all right? So here's the quote. You can put it up there. It's from a pastor in Dallas. It says, in general... White people are almost the only culture who worship unexpressively. So every other culture feels like they can't be themselves in service. If spontaneous applause, raised hands, talking back during preaching would feel awkward and out of place at your church, in general, people from other cultures would feel awkward and out of place too. This is why it's a hospitality issue. Because we want people that are different from us. If we're a church that we take our first core value seriously, we initiate relationships with what? All people. That as we're inviting them in, we want to make them feel at home. And that they can come and they can worship the God in a way that they are normally accustomed to. And that's expressiveness. And it's not because we're doing this out of a disingenuine heart. I'm saying, I want you to feel the permission to step into it and to do it too. I want us to be a church that worships holistically the God that deserves our holistic worship. So look, here's a question for us as we're thinking through this, all right? So you can kind of think of like the hospitality and making this a place where people feel at home directionally, like helping them know how to get through the place, knowing where to go to the bathroom, where to get seats, all those kinds of things, relationally, that they don't feel like they can leave this place without being talked to or engaged thoughtfully, but also worshipfully. So here's the question. How can I help others feel at home? How can I help others feel at home? As you're driving to the service, as you're looking in the mirror before you come to a gathering that storyline, I want this to be a question that we're wrestling with before we get here, that we're mindful of the person that we don't know and what do I need to do to help them feel at home when they're here with us? Is that directionally, relationally, or worshipfully the way that I need to be mindful about how I'm stepping into our gatherings? So the first one, so we love constantly. The second one is that we help people feel at home and the third one is we use our gifts to bless. I get this in verse 10. It says this, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. 
So the last way we create moments that matter is we view our gatherings as opportunities to serve and not just take. Isaac Wardell, he has this illustration of the church that I think is just a really helpful one. He says, um, we want to view our gatherings as the people of God, not as a concert hall, but as a banquet hall. And here's what he means. A concert hall, you come ready to be entertained. So you come with a place where you're thinking about your own personal preferences, and maybe when you leave, you're critical of the gathering that you just had. Well, I didn't like that song. I didn't like the, the way that they chose their arrangement of that song. You know, the, the way that the pastor went with the sermon, just, you know, it, didn't, it just didn't hit me. Like, I, I just didn't leave feeling over, like, I didn't feel super challenged by the way that I left. The gospel, it, it was there, but, you know, like, it wasn't as fresh as I would have liked it to be. Like, that's what a concert hall feels like. A banquet hall, though, Here's a couple of things that happen when you go to a banquet hall. One, you come hungry, don't you? You're expecting a meal. You come hungry. But second, you come ready to participate. You're not, you're not coming just expecting to sit isolated in a seat. You're coming hungry, you're ready for a meal. And second, you're coming ready to participate. You're ready to kind of get your hands dirty and the people that you're around, about to be around. And you come with an appetite, you come empty, expecting to leave full, and you come expecting to participate, and in this instance, you come ready to serve with a helping hand. Look, I absolutely want our gatherings to be a place where you come and it's, it feels rich, it feels meaningful, it feels life-giving. Like, I want you to leave full, but I want you to leave full with Jesus, Right? the goodness of what he's done for you, the life and the family that he's brought us into. I want you to leave full of the gospel with the movements that we rehearse in our services. I want this to be the experience that you have in our groups as well, that you open up the Bible with one another and there's rich conversation, there's life on life that's happening. I want all this, but Peter tells us the way to leave gatherings full is by giving and not just receiving. God in his kindness gives us spiritual gifts. You see this throughout the New Testament. These are gifts that when we come to faith in Jesus, that he gives us gifts in order to bless and serve others in the family of God. These are gifts to be used to build up each other, to encourage each other, that as we're trying to seek to like put on this life, new life that we have in Jesus, and for us to come, become more like Jesus, that we use these gifts in order to serve other people as we're working through the discipleship issues in our life to become more like Jesus. That's what these are for. He gives us a couple examples in this passage. He says, if anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. He's specifically speaking in words of affirmation here. That like if you gather here, as you gather as the body that your words, you're using them in a way that you're building each other up, you're encouraging each other in the faith. Then he also says, if anyone serves, particularly like they have the gift of serving people, let it be from the strength that God provides you. So he's meaning this like, hey, if there's gaps that are happening that are here as you gather as a church, that you, if you have this gift, that you have an eye for that, you're stepping into these gaps, you're filling these gaps in the life of the church, and you're doing it with the, the strength that comes from the grace of Jesus Christ. You get from other passages in the New Testament that giving is a spiritual gift, that can be of your time, that can be of your resources. Like you, you have a generous spirit to you and you step in and you bless the church in this way. Others are like a leadership or administration that you're really good at organizing things and so you can step into the crevices of the church where things may fall through the cracks and you're like, hey, I have systems and structures that I can help with this in the life of the church. Then you have people that are really benevolent. They think about the people that are on the margins of society. This would be like the poor, the overlooked in society. And so they have big bleeding heart for people. And so they lead the church by caring for the physical needs that are around us. Then you have other people that have gifts in faith or wisdom or teaching. The Bible tells us all of these, all of these are to be used in order to bless and serve other people, not for you to just be personally built up yourself. And the context of them is when you gather as a church, you're using these gifts to serve other people in order to bless them. 
Peter warns us that if we come to gatherings where we're wanting and we're taking, and you're saying, give me and give me and give me, you have a concert hall more in mind than you do a banquet hall, that you're mishandling God's gifts that he's given to you. The Bible tells us, look, if we want the thing that we want deep down inside when we're trying to take and take and give me and give me, you're wanting to leave full. And the Bible tells us if you're wanting to leave full, if you're wanting to leave joyful, if you're wanting to leave satisfied, then it's by giving and not just receiving. Acts 20, 35 says it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. So here's a question to help us, all right? Who can I serve? When I step into our gatherings, if we want to create moments that matter, who can I serve? Who am I stepping in ready to give to this person of myself and the gifts that God has given me rather than just trying to take and take and take? We want to be a church that loves constantly. We want to be a church that makes people feel at home when they gather with us. And we want to be a church that uses our gifts to bless others. Now, let me close out with a different church experience that I had that's trying to like hopefully put all this together. Gives you a mental picture of what this can kind of look like for us, all right? So my family, this was a few years ago, we went to Kansas City on like a little family trip. And while we were there, we went and visited a church. Um, I'm not going to give you the name of the previous church. I'll give you this name because it was a really good experience. So it's Redeemer Fellowship that we went to while we were there. Uh, By no means were they perfect, okay? By no means were they perfect when we went and gathered with them. So I'm not saying that they just hit everything out of the ballpark, all right? But there were things that they did that created a moment that really mattered for our family while we gathered with them. Here's some examples, all right? So ways that they weren't perfect. We walked, we, we parked at the church facility. They actually had parking signage for us, so we knew where to park and knew how to kind of do all that. We got into the building, though. No one introduced themselves to us. We walk into their auditorium, and there's just massive scatterings of people that are all around. So we, you know that you're new in a church if you walk in, and you kind of walk in looking down, and then you look up and you pause, that happens to you in the life of a church, you know, as a church member, that person's new and I need to go engage them. So that was us, all right? So we walk in, massive people, massive, massive groups of people that are walking all around. But here's what we saw, okay? We didn't get introduced to anybody. No one came necessarily to like immediately come talk with us because here's what we immediately saw. I knew some of the pastors already, and so I knew where they were in their station. I knew their names. I knew their faces, and they were talking intently with people. I saw people laying hands on church members and praying for them in the midst of everything that's going on. So immediately as we went in, it was like, okay, this church loves each other. There's no question that these people were like engaged with one another, that they were there present with one another, thoughtful following up with one another, praying for one another in the moment. Like, these things were happening. And then, not only that, they made us feel at home because we were this people that came in, we had our head down, we looked up, and we paused. There was a mom that came and introduced herself to us. She had her other kids that were there with us. She comes, introduces herself, says, says, hey, how long have you been coming to Redeemer? That's usually a question of like, hey, I don't know you, or you haven't been here before. So like, it's like the easy segue into like, you're a visitor here, how, tell me how you heard about us. Um, and so like, we, we do the whole thing. She's like, hey, let, let, help me, let me help you get to Redeemer kids. And so she escorted us. We had no idea how to get there. We were trying to find out how do we get our kids into their kids' ministry. She takes us with her kids, takes us up to the kiosk where you check in like your kids. She stays there with us and introduces us to the person that is helping us get our kids checked in. Cherish is talking with the lady. She's getting our kids checked in. I'm talking with this mom. She's wanting to know, hey, why are you visiting? Like, 
how did you hear about us? Tell me like about your life. Tell me about your like belief in Jesus. Like she's asking me like questions, just very thoughtful, like wanting to just get to know me. So she stays there with us through the whole moment where we get our kids checked in. And that once she sees that we're good and that we're being taken back to our kids' classroom, that then like she leaves. So she like stays there with us the whole time. So we get our kids checked in. We go into the service. Um, we went on like Thanksgiving weekend. So the main preacher wasn't preaching and their main music person wasn't leading. But guys, it was engaging. People were fully engaged in the worship service with with what was going on. People were expressive in the songs that we were singing. Like you were moved by the songs that were being sung and people were expressing it outwardly. There was a person that got up before the word was preached and he literally was like sort of the hype man for the person that was getting up ready to preach. He gets up and he leads us in reciting to the person that's about to get up to preach. Pastor Jeff preached the word. And he kind of does this in like a coaching spirit to where it's like, I'm ready for the word to be preached because I need the truth of the gospel in my life before I leave this room. And so like, this is happening and you're like, okay, I'm ready to receive this. I don't remember what the sermon was, okay? I I don't wanna like paint this picture of like, this is the best sermon that I've ever heard. I don't remember it, but I do remember that something moved inside of me and that I needed the word to be taking place. The engagement that was happening around me made me hungry and more thirsty for the word of God in my life in that moment. And so we leave, we go get our kids. Kids had a great time. Their teachers were very intentional with us sharing what happened. We go back home to Louisville, Kentucky. And when we're in Louisville, Kentucky, a week later, our oldest Seth gets a handwritten card with the prayers that he prayed in the class the an invitation to come back and visit when next time that we're in town. Our kids don't usually get mail, and so my son takes this postcard and he puts it under his pillow, slept with it for a month. I don't remember the songs that we sang. Did they kill it with their like welcome team when we walked in? No. I don't remember the sermon that was preached but they created a moment that mattered. They loved constantly. They made us feel at home. And they blessed us by the way that they served. Look, Storyline, we can be that church too. We are a church that creates moments that matter. So let's be a church that loves constantly. Let's be a church that makes people feel at home when they gather with us. Let's use our, our gifts to bless and serve those that come and gather with us. Let's pray.